there is a teacher of a, a class of six-year-olds. One day she gave me an assignment. She said, take out your colored pencils and your, your papers and draw a picture of anything you want. And so the kids got out their stuff and they start drawing away. And of course, in about 15 minutes, most of the kids are done. But the teacher looked in the back of the room and she saw one girl, her name Susie, was still drawing very intensely away. And uh, so the teacher goes back to Susie and says, Susie, what are, you, what are you drawing a picture of? And Susie, without looking up from her work, says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher hesitated and said, um, Susie, nobody knows what God looks like. To which uh, Susie very confidently replied, they will when I'm done. <laughs> we uh, often uh, are hesitant or uh, struggle with what we don't think we know about God. And over the past few weeks, we've been looking at what Matthew has been telling us about Jesus. And in a way, he's been giving us a glimpse of some of the things that, that God looks like, if you will. Uh, Matthew also describes not only Jesus and the miracles and the things he's doing, but Matthew also talks about how people respond to Jesus. And we've highlighted that as we've gone through things. Some people get stuck at what they don't know. Some people are resistant because of the things they think they do know. Some people are amazed at Jesus and the things he says and does, yet they're unwilling to make the commitment to follow him. But there's a some people, and it, it appears by Matthew's narrative, a very small number of people are willing to respond to Jesus' call to follow him. And today we're going to look at uh, Matthew's description of some essential ingredients of what it means to follow him. Now, we've been reading, we're going through systematically through Matthew. It's a book. We need to remember what it is. It's a book written to tell us about Jesus. And, 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 and it's a narrative, uh, intentionally written. And Matthew had specific themes in mind and specific truths that he wanted to communicate to the people who would read his book. He's not just being accurate as a biographer, but he also has a message that he's trying to tell us. And, and including that the, Jesus fulfills the Old Testament prophecy about a Messiah or a Savior and about the coming of the kingdom of God, and, and what it means to follow Jesus. And Matthew wants the people who read his book to understand these things, and they want them to read it as a book. They would go sequentially through it, and things would make sense as they build, just like they do when we read other things. And we are those readers. And so I, I want to just highlight a couple things, that how we got to where we are today, because today lo will look like a series of four miracles, just events out of nowhere. But, but they're not events out of nowhere. Matthew put them there specifically to tell us something specific about following Christ. We spent a couple months looking through the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus was unpacking uh, what it meant to live in, uh, in light of the arrival of God's kingdom. And then Matthew, after the teaching, goes through a whole series of miracles that tells us he gets our attention to these miracles and, and um, a wide variety of kinds of miracles. And, and, and why does he do that? He tells it so that the miracles will authenticate the messenger. Uh, God's, God's really at work. How do you know? Because miracles happen. It doesn't normally happen. But since they do, this really must be a work of God. They demonstrate God's kingdom. Not just saying it, but God's kingdom is real and it's here. It's moving. It also helps point to the future. There's a new heaven and a new earth coming. The, the earth today is all corrupted and in sin. It's going to be different. And this is those miracles are a glimpse of what the future is going to be like. Also, as we saw a couple weeks ago, miracles do something else in that they point to spiritual realities that uh, presently are beyond our physical perception. For example, when they brought the paralytic, the people brought the paralytic to Jesus, 
uh, and he, said, he responds to the paralytic and says, uh, your sins are forgiven. And then, of course, people got all bent out of shape, like, hey, who are you to forgive sins? And Jesus says, so, and then he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, stand up and go home. And he did. And that, oh, I guess he does have the power to forgive sins. And then we saw a series of miracles that show us that Jesus is worth uh, a devoted response to following. Jesus has authority over the nature. He calms the storm. Jesus has authority and power over evil spirits. He hears the, the demon, demonized men. Jesus, Jesus has, we already said, the, the authority and power to forgive sins. But then, then, he, then Matthew transitions to the call of Matthew himself. How did I come that follow? How did I respond? And we saw that, that, that um, we looked at the text with Matthew and that following Jesus is both personal, relational, and missional. That's what it means to follow Christ. And then Matthew records some pushback. So Matthew, Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners, all the wrong people. And the Pharisees come and they push back on Jesus. They say, why are you eating with these people? And Jesus answers, and it's a very important, Matthew wants us to understand, it's a very important answer. He says, Jesus says to them, those who are well are in no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what it means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus is a summary of the gospel. This is a glimpse of what it means to respond to Jesus as Messiah, to follow, not just to follow him, but to respond to his message. He's a physician, and if you want to follow him, you have to admit that you're sick in need of a physician. If you don't, then you're not going to follow him. We expect the Pharisees to push back, but then John the Baptist, as Josh showed last week, John the Baptist's disciples show up, and they push back on Jesus. They say, hey, ironically, we're not self-righteous. We got this repentance stuff down. We're really, really good at repenting. Our problem with you, Jesus, is why aren't you guys and your disciples repenting like us? We, we fast all the time. How come you guys don't fast? So they're pushing back on Jesus, too, saying, hey, you're not doing it our way. And they didn't like that Jesus didn't do it their way. And Jesus responded to them. Josh looked at it last week. But I just want to highlight one thing there. At the end of that explanation, Jesus gives a metaphor, an imagery. He says, he says uh, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth in an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and, the, and, the wor and, the, the, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled out, and the skin is destroyed. But new wine is put in new wineskins so that both are preserved. Now, the metaphors are clear. If you take the new and you put it with the old, it creates devastation. It's a disaster. It's a, it's a, but what we do is we're left hanging. Jesus does not explain. He gives these metaphors, these word pictures. Everybody understands them, but then they go, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't get it. Jesus does not explain. But Matthew, as the author, does give us an explanation in the passage we're going to look at today. What does it mean for this new kingdom? How does that work where we get in and go and interact with the old without destroying it? Will you stand with me as we read the text for today? We're going to be reading Matthew 9, 18 through 34. This is Matthew wrote this for his original audience, and in God's sovereign grace, we are part of that audience. So this is Matthew's word, through God's word through Matthew to us. Matthew 9, 18 through 34. Hear the word of the Lord. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in 
and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on, hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if, if only I touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion and said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but asleep, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd came and uh, but when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl, girl arose. And the report of this went through all the district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came, in, came to him, and Jesus said to them, do you, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said, Yes, Lord. And, they, and then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, it be done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See to it that no one knows about it. Yet they went, out, they went away and spread his fame through all the district. As they were going away, behold, a, a demon-oppressed man was brought, who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never has anything like this been seen in Israel. But the Pharisee said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. Let's pray. Lord, open our eyes, touch our hearts. Let us see your word, your truth for us today. We thank you in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. I just want to highlight, start by highlighting something. Matthew, so Matthew, Jesus says, you've got to put new wine in new wineskins. And the very next thing Matthew writes in verse 18 is, while he was saying these things to them, Behold, a ruler came. So Matthew, is, in, in literary style, is connecting. Jesus says this stuff, and while he's actually doing it, this ruler shows up. Matthew's connecting what's about to happen with what Jesus was saying. And we'll see uh, through this, uh, these four sequential and coordinated events, we'll learn about what it means to follow Christ, specifically what it means to have faith in following Christ, what it means to have faith, to take steps of faith. How, how do we know the people's faith as a point of these events? They just look like a series of miracles. Well, we know because Jesus himself explicitly tells us that this is what it's about. In verse 22, he says, Jesus turned, seeing, uh, seeing her, and says, Take heart, your faith has made you well. He says to the blind men, he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. So Matthew's saying Jesus is highlighting the fact that these people had faith, therefore... These miracles happened for them. That's what Matthew's trying to tell us. Faith, unfortunately, is one of those religious words. It's, it's commandeered in our culture and other things. And it's, it's vague. We, we're not quite sure what it means sometimes. It's rarely defined. And some of that, it's one of those, again, because of its commonality, we think you know, it's the power of positive thinking. It's just wishing really hard. We have lots of ideas about faith, but the Bible unpacks this. And that's what Matthew's trying to do is, what is that faith? What did Jesus see in these people? that he draws a conclusion, you have great faith. What did Jesus, and what can we learn about our lives that would do the same thing? How do we know that we're taking those steps of faith? Well, there are three aspects of faith that, that what it means for us to walk by faith. First of all, 
we take steps of faith by acknowledging our need for Jesus, by acknowledging our need for Jesus. This is kind of counterintuitive. Well, faith, often think of being very positive and not doubting, but this isn't doubting. This is being honest and open about our needs. Where, where do we see that in the passage? Well, all over the place. In verse 18, the, the ruler, the ruler shows, he comes saying, Behold, the ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter's just died, but come, lay your hands on her. I know she'll live. He's a synagogue ruler. He's a le- religious leader. And, and he's a devastated man. He's a broken man. He's a desperate man. His daughter was sick, and then she died subse- subsequently. And in his desperation, in his grief, he comes to Jesus and says, I know you can heal her. Now, this is a big risk for him. He's a religious leader. We already know how the Pharisees and other religious leaders treat Jesus. He is now risking public embarrassment. He's risking his job, in essence. And he's saying, I don't care. I have a need that only Jesus can fill. And, and we also know that he was very sincere about it because as a ruler, he shows up. And what does the text tell us? It tells us he kneeled in front of Jesus. As a ruler, don't usually kneel. They're knelt too. But he was willing to say, you are the Lord. I'm kneeling in front of you. He had desperate needs. Look at the woman. The woman has is told, now, Jesus is going with him, and a woman came, and she had suffered from a discharge of blood, in verse 20, for 12 years. She came up and wanted to touch his, touch his garment. 12 years she's been physically suffering. 12 years she's been bleeding. Mark tells us that she spent all that she had on doctors, and she only got worse. She is, and the ramifications isn't just the physical deterioration that she's experiencing. It is the social. She is, because she's bleeding, she is ceremony unclean. She is not allowed to touch people. People are not allowed to touch her. That's why she has to sneak up on Jesus. And um, she probably cannot bear children. If she had, she can't anymore. She probably can't. If she's married, we don't know details, but she can't be intimate with her husband. And she can't even go to the temple to worship because she's unclean. She has to stay out. So she's ostracized, even though she's around people and ill, she's ostracized from, people, uh, from other people. She is in desperate need. And then we have the two blind men and Jesus passing by. And two blind men show up and they're crying. I mean, these guys are bold too. They are bold. They're, hey, have mercy on his son of David. They're in the crowd. They're screaming and yelling. And, but blindness isn't just, it is uh, then... Uh, there's lots of kinds of ailments and diseases like that. Blindness particularly was extreme hardship back in those days. It's hard now, but it's back there. You, you couldn't make a living. You had a bag. You were dependent on everybody else for everything else. But even more importantly, in the day, people thought you were blind because you're cursed by God. Because um, they viewed blindness, either you or your parents sinned, so God struck you blind. In fact, Jesus' own disciples have this conclusion, not in our text, but in a different text, they're walking along and they see a blind man and his own disciples say, say uh, um, um, his, his disciples ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So they themselves viewed that as blindness is a curse of God. This guy, these guys were in desperate need. You also see the demon-possessed man comes and he's brought to them. He, he is unable to come on his own. Text is he was brought. First of all, if you're demonized, the demons ruin you in so much that you're physically distorted, you don't go seek out Jesus. So he is manhandled, probably, to bring, come. You need him, but it is a fact of faith on their part. Uh, he had, and the demonization caused physical harm. He was mute, and uh, he was dependent on other people, and they knew enough, we got to get him to Jesus. 
So they brought him to Jesus. He was in desperate need. Faith acknowledges our need. All of these accounts, the persons had a desperate need for Jesus, and they acknowledged it. They were bold about it. Jesus said a little earlier, he says, I, I'm a physician. I came for the sick, not for the self-righteous. And now Matthew's saying, here's some sick people, not just physically, but socially, emotionally, and they need Jesus. We are, if we are not willing to acknowledge our sickness, again, physically, spiritually, emotionally, then we don't have any need for a physician, even Jesus. Faith is acknowledging I have a need that I can't take care of. I need Jesus. Faith is first and foremost and open and honest about our needs and our inabilities or it wouldn't be faith. But Matthew continues. He says we need to take steps of faith by acknowledging our need for Jesus, but there's also a confident trust in Jesus. Their, their eyes, are, uh, their attention is all on Jesus. This is obvious in the text. In the, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, the author of Hebrews defines, helps us out in defining, giving us part of our understanding of the, the faith. He says in Hebrews 11:1, 1, he says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The word there for assurance sometimes is translated confidence. So now faith is a confidence in things hoped for. If, if you didn't have a need, there wouldn't be need for hope, so you have to hope for it. And, and, it, and it's a conviction of things not seen. I'm not, I'm not sure how this is going to work out, but I know it's going to work out. And faith is that confident trust that God not only can do things, but God does do things. Do we see that kind of faith in our text? Yeah, we do. Look at verse 18. Matthew tells it. He goes, the woman, um, when the woman's the first one responds, she goes up and um, she, she uh, excuse me, she while he was still saying these things, behold, a ruler came, the ruler first, and he says, my daughter has just died, come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. She will live. He, he had no doubt. All I need to do is get you, Jesus, to her. You touch her, she will live. That's a confident trust. He wasn't questioned, maybe, what do you think the odds, Jesus? Hey, can you give me some approximations? No, she will live if you get there and touch her. Look at the woman. He says, she says to her, she's sneaking up on Jesus as a crowd. She's trying to make her way through the crowd, being, being inconspicuous. And she says, if I can only touch his garment, I will be made well. I will be made well. She's not questioning it. And she has a specific plan. And she only needs to do one thing. I just need to touch his garment. I will be well. A confident trust. And then Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Then we go on to the two blind men. They go and they're, and they're in a crowd and they're yelling and they're, they're crying aloud. They're yelling. Now, there could be other people yelling too. We don't know. It doesn't say. But they are yelling and screaming, have mercy on us, son, son of David. And then when they interact with Jesus, Jesus says, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said, yes, Lord. He said, okay, according to your faith, let it be done to you. He touches them and they see. Yes, we know that you can heal us. Give us our sight back. So they're going to do that. You know what's interesting about this? I was thinking about this. Have the two blind men ever witnessed Jesus doing a miracle? Have the two blind men, let me rephrase it, have they ever seen Jesus do a miracle? No. They're blind. Okay? It's it's like this is one of those really obvious things. They have never seen Jesus or him do anything. They had only heard about it. And yet they're willing to stand up in their faith and, and, and pursue him 
and pursue him. And they yell, have mercy on a son of David. This is the title of Jesus as the Savior. Matthew began his gospel, his account. Verse 1 was the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is the first time that title comes back. These blind men, uneducated, can't work, can't do anything, but they knew enough about the Messiah, this guy is it. And they acted on what they did. We also know the, the, um, the people who brought the demonized man, and we, say, we see here that um, as they were going on the way, behold, the demonized man was, was brought to them. Well, who had the confident trust? We, we don't know that the demonized man does, but we know the people who brought him did. And it's just like the, with the paralytic. When, Jesus had, when the paralytic, we read that in a little couple weeks ago, behold, some people brought him a paralytic lying in a bed, and when Jesus saw their faith, plural, their faith, he healed the, the paralytic. This is the same way with the demonized man. They, sh- they show up, they bring him, because Jesus sees their faith, their confident trust, we know if we get this guy to Jesus, he's good. And he is, he's healed. Faith is a confident trust that Jesus has the authority and power to do what he said he would do. When it, <clears throat> when it comes to following Jesus and experiencing his power in our lives, faith matters. But the text also gives us a warning. Lack of faith matters too. Lack of faith is a big, here, a big, a big deal too. We're... Where do I get that? Again, Matthew does not include details to fill space. He's trying to tell us something. If we look at verses 23 through 25, we read this. And Jesus is asked by the ruler to go to his house. And then we say, And when Jesus came to the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and their crowd making a commotion. And he said, and, and he said Go away. The girl is not uh, dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd was put outside, he, he went in, took her by the hand, and the girl arose. Jesus comes, and he comes to the house, and they're already having the funeral. They're already mourning. The, they have to do it very quickly in those days. They didn't embalm people. They had to bury him very quickly. So the girl's dead. He's out. They know where he is. It, the dad's not at his own daughter's funeral. Everybody knows where he is. He went to get Jesus, because he wants Jesus to raise her from the dead. And so they're aware of this, and yet they begin the funeral anyways. They begin, and they do what they, they know to do. And, but in, instead of waiting, and, and, and when he shows up, they laugh at him. They laugh at him. In the irony here is these are mourners laughing. Matthew wants us to understand the irony here. They're there to grieve, but they laugh instead. They end up laughing at Jesus. Now, th- put, pretend to be Jesus. I do this all the time. Pretend to be Jesus. If, if you come to do a miracle and people start mocking you and laughing at you, what would you do? Well, if I was Jesus, what I would have done is said, okay, people, come on, come on in. Let's all gather around the girl, okay? That's all of you. Guys got a good sight? Good line of sight? Everybody following this? Okay. And then I'd raise her from the dead. And then i go, aha, who's laughing now? Right? Isn't that what you do? If they're mocking you, you say, hey, I can do this, I'm going to do this, and I'll show you. But what does Jesus do? What does Jesus say to them? 
He says, go away. He says, go away. And when the crowds were put outside, then he heals the girl. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? We give a glimpse of this in, in Matthew 13, uh, a little later. We're, we're, we're going to be in a, a while, but in Matthew 13, Jesus shows up at his own hometown, and there's an account where he's starting to teach and do some stuff, and they basically say, who, isn't this Jesus? Who is this guy? Like, don't we know his father, the carpenter? His mother's married. Don't we know his brothers and sisters? And they names his brothers and sisters. Who does this guy think he is? And Jesus leaves, okay? He leaves. And we're told why he left. In verse 58 of Matthew 13, he says, And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief, in that case, Jesus left town. In the case of the girl, he asked them to leave the building. I think this is a little detail that is a huge detail. He didn't just be quiet, just stay and watch. I want you guys out of here. The text says they were put out of the house. A number of years ago, I heard a pastor sharing in his church. They had a worship service, and at the end of the worship, towards the end of the service, they would always end with a prayer time, and they'd invite people down for prayer. And, and then he said that, um, and, but, you know, they did this for years, and they never really saw much healing or any explicit answers to prayer, and it's very frustrating for him. And he's studying his Bible, and he's reading, and he comes across this text with that we just read that Jesus interacting with the mourners. And he realizes that Jesus says, go away, and he puts him out of the, puts him out of the house. And then Jesus can perform the miracle. He does some other study, and he sees that this is also not the only place that this happens. So the next week, he gets up in his church. They have the service, and he gets up and says, there's a little, a little change here today. Um, he goes, I, I want, we're going to have prayer time in a minute, but I want you guys to, to just be honest. Just, just don't worry about what other people think. Just, I just need you guys to be honest. He says, how many of you here really have the faith and believe that God does, can and does heal people and answer prayer? It, just right now. And he said, about a quarter of the people raised their hand. About a quarter of the people raised their hand. He said, okay, thank you. Those of you who raised your hand, we're going to have prayer time now. I want you to stay for prayer time. The rest of you, I want you to leave the building. I want you to get up. I don't want you to stand in the back and talk. I want you out of the building. And they did. He emptied the place except for a quarter of the people. He said, from that Sunday they saw people being healed. And his pattern ever since was, if you believe, stay. If you don't, go. And as I thought about that this week, I was, you know, I have to be honest, in different phases of my life, if I was a part of that church, would I have really raised my hand? Intellectually, I say yes, but do I really have faith to see Jesus work and heal things? I don't know. How about us here at Red Sea? Do we have the faith? If we did that same kind of thing, would we stay and pray? Or would we have to leave the building? That's what Matthew wants us to know. He wants us to wrestle with that. Faith takes steps. We take steps of faith by acknowledging the need for Jesus, confidently trusting in Jesus, but also taking action towards Jesus. Taking action towards Jesus. Faith is not just 
a mental state, there is action involved. It's a verb in that sense. And, and how do these people take action? How do they acknowledge their need for Jesus and have confident trust? They put it to action. We see this. The ruler came, he found Jesus, pursued Jesus, found Jesus, and then he uh, uh, knelt down, um, and he knelt down before him saying, come heal my daughter. He took action. The woman pursued after Jesus through a crowd and says, if I can only touch his garment, I will be healed. And she pursued him, pushed her way through the crowd, and she touched him. She took action. The, the blind men, they, they were crying aloud. They were yelling and screaming for Jesus to have mercy. And, and you know what's interesting? If you read the text, as we read the text, it, it says, and Jesus passed on from there. Two blind men followed him. So they're following as they're moving, crying aloud, have mercy on the son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him. It implies that Jesus ignored them or didn't hear them. We don't know. But Jesus kept moving when they were yelling at him. And he goes into a house, and they were so determined, they pursued Jesus into the house. They're blind men, and they pursued him. We don't know if he didn't hear, or he purposely ignored him. I don't know. But they were willing to take action. They pursued him. And the people who brought the demonized man, they brought him. And just like with the paralytic, Jesus said, saw their faith, because they took action. We care enough about this guy, we're going to bring him to Jesus. They took action. In Hebrews 11, uh, the great faith, faith is being assurance of things hoped for and a conviction of things not seen. If you go through that chapter, we're not going to go through that, but if you go through that chapter, you notice one of the hallmarks of that chapter, which lists all these guys in the Old Testament, men and women, who had faith, they always were doing something. For example, by faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed. He left his home and went to a place he didn't know. Uh, how about this one? By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea, as if on dry land. By faith. It took action. Faith is not something we just think. Think means we do something with it. And, and there, so, but Jesus isn't here. He's not walking around today. We've talked about this before. So how do we take action towards Jesus if he's not physically around anymore? Well, there's two ways. There's two ways. First of all is what I would call uh, saving faith. We have a faith to come towards Jesus in the first part. Can you, um, Chris, can you put up the Romans 3? Uh, Jesus is explaining his life, and he's going through, and as we go through Matthew's gospel, we're going to see more of it. But after, obviously after Jesus died on the cross, rose again, ascended, and the disciples, they understood more of the big package, the, the big picture of what Jesus was doing. And one of those explanations, there's numerous ones in the scripture, and one of them is Paul in Romans. And in this passage, he under, unpacks how faith has to do with our coming to know Jesus, moving towards Jesus. He says this, by, But now a righteousness, righteousness of God is made manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. In other words, the Old Testament keeps pointing us to Jesus. We've talked about that. The righteousness of God, how? Through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. So faith in Christ. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's our need. And are justified, made right, by grace as a gift through the redemption that came in Christ Jesus. Christ died for our sins. He paid the price for that. And therefore, it's the redeemed, is he got, that's how we get right, declared justified, declared right before God. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Propitiation 
is there's a wrath of God pointed at people. Jesus absorbed that wrath. So therefore, there is only love pointed at people now. And therefore, grace and mercy. All that's removed. That's what the fancy word propitiation means. But how do you, how do you, have, that, how do you have that wrath removed? We're told you receive it by faith. This is, was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance. He was passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be both the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That is what it means to come to Jesus. If you, if you have not made that decision, we've talked about this, repentance and faith to follow Christ, then we encourage you to do so. Talk to Josh, talk to myself. But moving towards Jesus is an act of faith for what he has already done for us in the gospel and the cross. But there's another kind of faith, another kind of faith, and that is this obedient faith. Where do, where do we get that? How do we move towards Jesus by taking action of obedient faith? Well, in, in, Math, in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, he ends the sermon, we talked about this too, he ends the sermon by saying, hey, um, not everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a man who built his house in the rock. And he compares if you do these words, if you do what I say, you're going to build your life on a rock and it will stand. The foundation isn't Jesus himself. It's our hearing and doing. But if you choose not to, if you hear these words and you don't do it, you do not take action, then you're building your, your life on sand. And when the storm comes, and it will come, your house, your life will fall with a great crash. So Jesus is saying, by obedient faith, you put those together, and you, that's what we do. In fact, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, the last thing Jesus says, we know it is the Great Commission, go make disciples, and one of the elements of going and making disciples is teaching them to observe or obey all that I've commanded. What is a disciple? Someone who follows Jesus and obeys him as obedient faith. Now, we've, we've talked about this, and I want to I just pause here for a minute, because we've talked about this back in Matthew, that when... It's not just hearing the word. It's not just knowing about the word. Uh, demons know. Satan knows the word. Pharisees know the word. A lot of us know it. But do we take obedient steps of faith and action? And we talked about this before. Right? We have here is repentance. Okay? Repentance. We respond in anything, both initially and, and walking, taking steps of faith every day is through repentance. We ask ourselves questions like, what do I need to re do I need to repent of any disobedience? If so, what? Or do I need to acknowledge any unbelief? This repentance can be of, of action or unbelief. And this one over here is faith. That's what we're talking about today. Faith. Those are the foundations. And this one, anybody remember what this is? What? Close. Someone other than Monica. No. It's new obedience. There, okay, thank you. You must have missed that Sunday. I, it, it must be it. Okay. We, we spent a lot of time on this. This is, this is, I'm reminding us, I'm trying to connect today with what's the past. We're not just trying to move on. This is, in essence, uh, how we walk by faith with, Jesus, with Christ. We, so faith is saying we repent is there, of unbelief. We repent of disobedience. But we also have faith that God, um, what is the biblical truth that I need to trust to be true for me? What are the promises that I expect God to keep? 
That's the faith. And that, you put these together, and then you say, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? That's the new obedience. It's, what, what's one thing, if I re- repent and believe, what's the one thing I can do? And the reason we emphasize new is because Jesus said, obey my, to obey his commands is to take up our cross daily and follow him. It, it, it gets away from the idea of being a legalistic. I just have a list, or I've done that, been there. Um, it's a, it avoids a, tra- a trap of legalism. I just do all these things, and that's what the Pharisees did. That's what John the Baptist the guys did. They, get, they didn't get the newness of it. Simple example. And one something I was working through this, this week with this. I, I call this new obedience. Monica and I were talking about it. She likes calling this creative obedience. It works. She, it, it, Okay, I'm sorry. That, that, that didn't come out right. Okay. Her, and I'm just, this is what we were talking about. So, personality type. She's artistic, creative. Um, my, my reaction to creative is sometimes, we're not just making it up. We're trying to do this. But also, her concern with new is that it sounds like it's faddish. Like, oh, what's the new thing to do now for Jesus? Okay? So that's what she's reacting to. And I think she's right. This isn't about, this is about me, our families, taking repenting. It's about having faith, and putting those together will always lead to obedience and action. An area I've been working on in my life, and we've talked about it before, is prayer. And Jesus said, earlier in it says, he says, when you pray, pray this way. He even gives us a, 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 a description, a, a framework on which to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be in the name. When you pray, not if you pray, when you do it, do it this way. And, and we pray. So, my, so as I struggled with that over seasons, I go in and out, I need to repent. Do I, do I pray? No, I, I don't pray. Not just enough, but I don't pray. Sincerely. And is there unbelief? Yeah, sometimes I think it's... Actually, my struggle with prayer is, is uh, more that I trust God's sovereign grace. I don't think I need to pray. He's got it covered. I need to repent of that. That's disobedience. But I need to have faith that when I pray that I'm really doing more than just chit-chatting or making sounds. I'm actually talking to the God of the universe, and he can and does do things. And, ironically, the Lord's Prayer, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, your will in my life change me. So what I need to do, if, I, if those are true, I repent and have faith, what, my new obedience, just acknowledging that isn't enough. I need to actually crack open my Bible and use the Lord's Prayer as a prayer time. Five minutes, ten minutes is not the important part. What's the matter? We're going to have a contest, okay? <laughs> yeah, re- renewed obedience, okay? I, I just use new. <laughs> it, is, it is, you know, it is fresh. It's different. It's, it can be the same. You can use the Lord's Prayer over and over again. You're right, it could. So it's, there's a newness, there's a freshness. Actually, it's pretty good. You being creative, thinking outside the box. My point being, and we need to move on, my point being, Walking with Jesus is much more tangible and active than we sometimes make it to be. Not just in our schedule coming here on Sunday, but when we combine repentance and faith and we add it to the new creative fresh obedience, okay, that's going to have to go on the website. Um, Things change, particularly us, and we are living by faith. Because we live our lives that. That's what I say. Gratitude, we live by faith, and gratitude for past grace hope for future grace, and faith in the power of present grace. That brings us new obedience. So faith, we have been saying steps of faith is acknowledging our need for Jesus, confidently trusting in Jesus, and taking action towards Jesus. That's what it means. That's what Matthew's trying to say to us. 
This is how the new wine and the new wineskins has their impact in our lives. And he's going to obviously say more. He's got a long way to go yet. When we take communion every week, we are taking steps of faith. When we invite you up, and if you are a follower of Christ, you have responded to the gospel message of repentance and faith, and you have taken a step of obedience, making a decision to follow Christ, then, then you, we invite you to take communion. You come up to the table, you can break with yourself, family, friends, home community, break off a piece of bread, dip it in juice or wine, whatever is appropriate for you, and take it. But you're doing it as a step of faith. It is an acknowledgement of your need for Jesus. It is confident trust in Jesus. And by taking communion, you're, doing, you're taking action towards Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for your, 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 um, your word for us. We thank you, Lord, that we can't, you are a physician, that we can acknowledge our need. We thank you, Lord, for you being the Lord of the universe. We can have confident trust. We thank you, Lord, that you have sent your spirit to guide us and your word to guide us and each other to guide us, that we can take steps of obedience together. And they can be creative and new and fresh and renewed. And we thank you, Lord, because of that we can follow you every day, tangibly, boldly, confidently. And we thank you for this in your precious name. Amen.